0: We're listening to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans, for Ohio State fans, on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Welcome back to The South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast by Ohio State fans, for Ohio State fans. From the West Coast, I'm your host, Zach Moore. Today is Sunday, November 27th. And I'm here today to give you my observations on the catastrophic failure of coaching scheme and execution that was Ohio State's embarrassing 45 23 home loss to number three Michigan yesterday in the horseshoe. For the second year in a row, though, in a very different way than last year, Michigan outsmarted and out executed the Buckeyes and in the end really beat Ohio State at their own game with a blitzkrieg of big plays, both through the air early and then on the ground late. Michigan scored touchdowns on pass plays of 69 yards, 75 yards, and 45 yards, and on running plays of 75 yards and 85 yards, both by Donovan Edwards late in the fourth quarter. It was a shocking meltdown by Jim Knowles' defense, especially in the secondary, which was burned repeatedly by a beleaguered Michigan passing attack, which came into this game 99th nationally in passing offense. And it was an afternoon full of head-scratching decisions by Ryan Day, who seems to have really lost his feel for the game as an offensive play caller. And Day was, you know, completely outclassed by Jim Harbaugh and his staff after halftime. And there was a t- there was a time when we celebrated Ryan Day for his in-game adjustments, but not lately, and not in a long time, and certainly not yesterday. After amassing 315 yards of total offense and 20 points in the first half, Ohio State could muster only 47 yards of total offense in the third quarter, allowing Michigan to get a vice grip on this game that they would not relinquish. C.J. Stroud finished 31 of 48 for 349 yards and two touchdowns, which, you know, looks like a good stat line. But after halftime, Stroud was 14 of 22 for only 158 yards passing, no touchdowns and two interceptions. I think even Stroud would tell you that he simply did not make enough plays in this game when it really mattered. The Buckeyes came into this game second nationally at converting their red zone trips into touchdowns. But yesterday they had four trips into the Michigan red zone, came away with only one touchdown. Ameka Egbuka finished with nine catches on 15 targets for 125 yards and a touchdown. Marvin Harrison Jr. finished with seven catches on 10 targets for 120 yards and a touchdown. But I think both Egbuka and Harrison Jr. would tell you neither of them made enough plays when it really mattered in this game. Now, not surprisingly, Mayan Williams, though he did give it a try, was not really able to help the Buckeyes in the run game. Mayan Williams left after only a handful of carries and did not return. He did not play in the second half because of that injured ankle. So Chip Trainham led the Buckeyes with 83 yards rushing on 14 carries, which is a, was a, a bit of a surprise to most Buckeye fans because we were expecting Dallin Hayden after his big game against Maryland last week to be a factor in this game. Hayden was not. Only two carries for seven yards for Hayden in this game. A bit of a head-scratcher there. Uh, Certainly not the primary reason the Buckeyes were run off the field by Michigan in this game, but one is left wondering if Hayden could have helped the Buckeye offense in this game, especially in the second half. Now, for the second week in a row... Ohio State hurt their own cause with more than 90 yards in penalties, which included a third-quarter holding penalty by Donovan Jackson that wiped out a 23-yard reception by Chip Trainham and a 15-yard unsportsmanlike penalty by G. Scott Jr. Now, both of those fouls occurred on the same play with the Buckeyes trailing 24-20. to 20. The penalty on G. Scott Jr. was, you want to talk about a head-scratcher, one of the worst penalties I think I've ever seen as an Ohio State fan. The combination of those two penalties— Instead of a 1st and 10 at the Michigan 25, left Ohio State with a 1st and 35 at their own 27. Now, Also, with the score still 24-20 Michigan early in the fourth quarter, Ohio State safety Ronnie Hickman was flagged for a devastating pass interference call in the end zone on 3rd and 10 that gave Michigan a fresh set of downs at the Ohio State 2-yard line. Michigan would eventually punch the ball in to take a commanding 31-20 lead and... Full disclosure it was at that point that i shut the television off and went for a walk around the presidio i just could not watch another second of that game those were probably the three most egregious ohio state penalties but sadly there were six others and if you include the performance against maryland last week a combined 20 penalties for 188 yards in ohio state uh, in ohio state's last two games That is not winning football. That's sloppy, undisciplined football. That is not what you expect out of Ohio State at this point in the season. You expect the Buckeyes to be playing their best football in late November. That is clearly not the case. So let me dive right into my other observations. I want to start with Jim Knowles. Now, I was a little surprised that so little of the post-game reaction from the Ohio State beat writers was focused on the catastrophic failure of Jim Knowles' defense. To me, that is the story of this game. That is 80 to 85% of the reason Ohio State lost this game in the fashion that they did. Now, Jim Knowles was probably the most celebrated assistant coach hire of the offseason in college football. He was the most sought-after defensive coordinator This offseason. And if I'm not mistaken, he is the highest paid coordinator in Ohio State history, making just under $2 million a year. Ryan Day has entrusted Knowles as the, quote, head coach of his defense. And through 11 games, Knowles had delivered. I mean, the Buckeyes were vastly improved in every defensive statistic that really matters. They were in the top 10 in most categories, including total defense and defensive yards per play. And to watch Knowles' defense give up four different scoring plays of 69 yards or more, two through the air and two on the ground, to a Michigan offense that was down its top playmaker in Blake Corum with a beleaguered passing attack that came into this game 99th in the country, was it was just utterly shocking. I mean, I'm still in stunned disbelief of what I watched from Jim Knoll's defense yesterday. The Ohio State secondary, I mean, they made Cornelius Johnson look like fucking Braylon Edwards. I mean, Johnson came into this game yesterday averaging 30 yards a game. And he had one touchdown catch over his last five games before his 69-yard and 75-yard touchdown catches yesterday against the Buckeyes. Now, Johnson's first touchdown catch was pretty much a carbon copy of Parker Washington's Catch and run for a touchdown against Ohio State and Happy Valley back on October 29th. I mean, what should have been an eight or nine yard gain turned into a 69 yard touchdown after Cam Brown whiffed on the tackle and there was no safety help. Johnson ran up the sidelines untouched for the touchdown. Now that tied the game at 10 and it really jumpstarted a Michigan offense, which up to that point had not done much of anything. And Knowles really put his defense in a terrible position on the play, leaving his beleaguered cornerbacks in one-on-one coverage with no safety help on third and long. I mean, the Michigan offense at that point was really searching for answers. I mean, they had three points on the board. They had consecutive three and outs on their previous two possessions. Ohio State was in great position to force another three and out. Knowles inexplicably sends both Ronnie Hickman and Lathan Ransom on a blitz I mean, it was a completely unnecessary risk that not only resulted in easy points for Michigan, but it jump-started a passing game that has been dormant for weeks. Now, in Michigan's very next possession, Johnson Torch seldom-used reserve defensive back Cam Martinez, who had no business being in the game at that stage, for a 75-yard touchdown. It was almost laughable how badly Martinez was beaten on the play. His technique was a mess. And, and you know, I mean, what would you expect in a moment like that from a kid who barely plays and who played quarterback in high school, right? Now, Michigan had a third long touchdown catch of 49 yards by reserve freshman tight end Colston Loveland, who beat Thorpe semifinalist Lathan Ransom on the play. I mean, it was Loveland's only touchdown catch of the season. And uh, Jim Knowles, these are the guys that are beating your defense for big plays in the biggest game of the year. Colston Loveland and Cornelius Johnson. Now, in the run game, Michigan had 80 yards on 22 carries going into the fourth quarter. They did get their run game going in the third quarter. But still, 80 yards and 22 carries, not not too shabby going into the fourth quarter of this game. We know how how good the Michigan rushing attack is, even without Blake Corum. But then in the fourth quarter, Knowles' run defense completely collapses. Donovan Edwards broke off runs of 75 yards and 85 yards. Both went for touchdowns to ice the game. Now, the game was still within reach for Ohio State before Edwards' first touchdown run. The Buckeyes were only down eight after kicking a field goal to cut the Michigan lead to 31-23. But the defense was misaligned on Michigan's first play from scrimmage after the kickoff. It was a, a bad run fit, as they call it, at the absolute worst moment. Edwards would squirt through a hole on the right side. Lathan Ransom, who had to come from the other side of the field, was late getting to Edwards, who shot up the sideline for a 75-yard score. And that was basically your ball game. I'm not a smart enough football guy to tell you what Noel should be doing differently. But I mean, he's going to be doing some soul searching after this game for sure. I mean, it was, again, utterly shocking to see his defense fail so miserably, both in scheme and execution, in pretty much every high leverage moment after the first quarter of this game. Now, in our preview pod, I said probably one of the dumbest things that I've said on this podcast. I said of the Michigan passing game that season-long glaring weaknesses tend to get exposed in games of these stakes. I mean, you never see them magically elevated to a place they've never been before. More often than not, they end up costing you a game like this. Well, ironically, Ohio State's glaring weakness, which is the play of their cornerbacks, was exploited repeatedly by Michigan, resulting in something we seldom see in a game of this magnitude, which is a beleaguered, struggling passing attack elevating its play in a way we hadn't seen all season. So there you go. You know, I, I uh, didn't didn't pay quite enough attention to Ohio State's weakness at cornerback, and uh, you know, kudos to Michigan for for exploiting it in the way that they did. Now, the play of the Ohio State corners, I think, has really fallen off a cliff since 2019. I mean, really, since Urban Meyer left. Jeffrey Okuda was the last truly great Buckeye cornerback. I mean, that was three years ago. I'm not even sure Cam Brown or Denzel Burke would have played more than special teams on most of Urban Meyer's teams. And right now, the young pops, J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock, they don't look at all ready to play. And I know there have been some injuries in that room, but I'm starting to wonder if cornerbacks coach Tim Walton was the right hire this offseason. We'll see what Ryan Day decides to do there, but there is some work to be done with that position group. I don't know if it's just young guys staying healthy and developing or if Ohio State needs to look to the transfer portal this offseason to bring in some help at that position, but that was the the one position in this game that really, really stood out as a glaring weakness. I think, you know, looking forward to next season and beyond, I think they're they're going to be fine at linebacker, they're going to be fine along the defensive line, but They really need to elevate the play at cornerback. It has really fallen off these last three seasons. So what do we make of Ryan Day after this performance? We've seen him turtle up in some big games before. I mean, the 2019 playoff semifinal against Clemson comes to mind. The 2020 Big Ten title game against Northwestern is another one that comes to mind. Now, Day was able to win that matchup with Northwestern, thankfully. But we've seen questionable play calling and decision-making which Day often gets away with because of his immense talent edge in most of the games that, you know, he plays. But in talent-equated games, it's been costly. And it was again yesterday. For example, on a critical fourth and two from the Michigan 34, with Ohio State leading 10 to three, Day called a very low percentage pass play to Cade Stover. I mean, Cade Stover, Stover's had a good season, don't get me wrong, but that's a high leverage moment in a, in a game with the highest of stakes. And Stover looked like he was C.J. Stroud's only option on the play. He was covered. Stroud's pass was slightly off. The ball fell incomplete. And at that point, I'm scratching my head. I mean, Chip Training was averaging eight yards of carry at that stage in the game. Day had Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka at his disposal. And the play design was for Stover? In the third quarter, Ohio State trailing 24-20 on consecutive possessions. Day elected to punt on 4th and 3 from his own 49 and 4th and 5 from the Michigan 43. Now, that second decision loomed pretty large because Michigan took the ball and won on a 15-play, 81-yard scoring drive that ate up nearly eight minutes. And that gave the Wolverines a 31-21 lead that seemed pretty much insurmountable at that stage. So, you know, I'm looking at those three fourth down scenarios And I got to ask myself, who are you, Ryan Day? I mean, at one moment, you're a riverboat gambler, and the next you're, what, Kirk Ferentz? I thought Bill Landis of Rivals made a very interesting point in his postgame column today. He said, quote, Day likes to tout being aggressive, but hardly rises to that level in his biggest games. In fact, he struggles to have a real feel at all when Ohio State is playing a matchup opponent on a big stage, end quote. I thought it was a really good observation by Bill Landis. Look, the Buckeyes were outscored 28-3 to in the second half. Ryan Day, you have C.J. Stroud, Marvin Harrison Jr., and Emeka Book. I mean, how does that happen? Now, look, at the same time, and I know this is going to sound like an excuse for Ryan Day, but I can't help but wonder how much of a difference a healthy Jackson Smith and Jigba would have made in this game. I mean, all three of those fourth down scenarios that I just described were tailor-made for Smith and Jigba. It's also worth mentioning... The Trevion Henderson was in street clothes on the sidelines yesterday. And Mayan Williams, who, you know, again, tried to give it a go, left the game after only eight carries. So in Day's defense, just a little bit, injuries loom pretty large for his offense in this game. So Ryan Day is now one and two against Jim Harbaugh after consecutive resounding defeats, both of which were close ball games at the half that turned into Michigan blowouts after halftime. You know, we talk a lot about how the hallmark of a great coach is halftime adjustments, right? And objectively speaking, I mean, Day has had the more talented roster in these last two matchups. So right now, Jim Harbaugh, I think, is coaching circles around Ryan Day with not, not as much talent, right, with the less talented roster. Now, I've seen a lot of fans and even some writers on Twitter today talking about Ohio State getting rid of Ryan Day. Now, that's a little much for me, especially in light of the news that Wisconsin has just hired Luke Fickle. So that takes one big name off the board for Ohio State, if if they were even going to consider it, which I think they'd be crazy to do it at this stage. I mean, Ryan Day is still 11 and one last year. He went 11 and two. He still has two Big Ten titles, two playoff appearances, a, a, an appearance in a national championship game. And he still does own a resounding 56 to 27 win over Jim Harbaugh on his resume. Now, am I questioning whether, you know, Day is a long term fit for this job? Yeah. I am a little bit today, for sure. But I, I don't think Gene Smith has any justification whatsoever to even be thinking about firing day. I mean, for now, day and Ohio State are in bed together. I mean, they're going to have to work it out, especially in light of the news of Fickle to Wisconsin. They're going to have to figure this out. Now, Jim Harbaugh started his career 0-5 against Ohio State, and that included losses of 42-13, to 62-39, and 56-27. Okay, so Michigan and Harbaugh, They, to their credit, they figured it out. And now Michigan is in command of this rivalry. So, Ohio State, Ryan Day, why can't you do the same thing? So, what will Ohio State's postseason fate be? Well, with number five LSU, number eight Clemson, and number nine Oregon all losing yesterday, the Buckeyes' playoff hopes aren't dead yet. I might even suggest they're still very much alive, although they're going to need some help, the Buckeyes. Now, after the the dust settles, Michigan and TCU will both move up. Personally, I think there's a very strong case for Michigan to be number one. I mean, they just went on the road without their best player and blew out the committee's number two. In any case, Georgia and Michigan, they'll have the two top spots in in the rankings in some order. TCU will almost assuredly uh, be elevated to number three. I expect USC to move to number four. Now, where Ohio State ends up in Tuesday's updated rankings will tell us if they have a realistic shot at making the playoff. Will the committee drop the Buckeyes below Alabama, who currently sits at number seven with two losses, or will they keep the Buckeyes ahead of the tide at number five? I think it's going to be either Ohio State or Alabama at number five in those upcoming rankings. Now, USC has a date with number 14, Utah, who beat the Trojans earlier this season, by the way, in the Pac-12 championship game on Friday, and TCU has a matchup with number 12, Kansas, in the Big 12 championship game on Saturday. Neither of those games is a lock for the Trojans and the Horned Frogs. Those are going to be battles, for sure. Now, between the two, USC, Utah is the one to keep an eye on if you're an Ohio State fan. If the Buckeyes are sitting there, is the committee's number five, and the Utes spring the upset, there's still a pretty compelling argument for Ohio State to get in as the four seed. I mean, think about it. Despite the loss to Michigan, the Buckeyes still own 11 wins, which were all by double digits, including wins over Penn State and Notre Dame, who will both finish in the committee's top 20. They've been the committee's number two since the release of the first rankings Ohio State has. That's another, I think, data point. And Ohio State's only loss will be to the committee's number one or number two team, depending on where Michigan finishes in the final rankings, probably going to be number two. So those are three big considerations there when you're thinking about Ohio State's playoff resume. Now, Alabama is also likely going to have a compelling argument as well, should USC lose. And uh, I think for the committee, it's just going to come down to who they think is better, Ohio State or Alabama. Now, the committee would have to break precedent to put Bama into the field. A two-loss team has never made The playoff field previously. But look, it's Nick Saban, it's Alabama. And if we're being honest with ourselves, do we really think Ryan Day and CJ Stroud are better than Nick Saban and Bryce Young? I personally don't. And if I had to put my reputation on the line, I would probably put Alabama into the field over Ohio State in that scenario. Okay, that's going to do it for me. I'm not sure when our next episode will be. If Paige and Chad feel like venting their frustrations over the Michigan loss, you might see a new episode drop into your feed this Wednesday or Thursday. If Ohio State somehow makes the college football playoff, you'll likely hear from me next Sunday. And if not, we likely won't record again until the week before the Rose Bowl, which is where I believe Ohio State is probably headed if they don't make the playoff. And it might even be a rematch with Utah. Ugh. Oh, man, that is not the way I envision this season ending, but we're not there yet. So until then, thanks so much for listening and go Bucks. You've been listening to the South Stands, a Buckeye football podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, and visit our website at southstandsosu.com.